I would invite you to stand as we turn together to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to be looking at just the first six verses. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6, they'll be up here on the screen as well, but uh, please turn in your Bible if you brought it with you today. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me? since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. May God add his blessing to his word. Please be seated. Well, when our son, Wilson, was five years old, he was all about space. He still has an interest in it, but as a five-year-old, he absolutely devoured any book we could find him about outer space and the solar system and about astronauts. His fifth birthday party was at the planetarium, and Ginger made him a space shuttle cake with Blackberry rocket exhaust. <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, we read that Jupiter and Saturn would be very close together in the night sky, and that you might even be able to see Pluto so both kids started begging us to stay up so that they could see it. But that wouldn't be until nearly midnight. So we compromised. We told them, you'll go to bed, and we'll stay up to see if the clouds hold off. This is Cleveland, after all. If the clouds hold off, we'll wake you up so that we can look at them. So at about midnight, Ginger and I were out on our front porch with Wilson's little telescope. We looked through the eyepiece, and in fact, we were able to see Saturn and even the small gaps between its rings and the planet. We saw faint bands on Jupiter, and three of its moons all stretched out in a line. And after a bit of looking, I thought I even found Pluto, a tiny pinprick of light near Jupiter. Well, I went upstairs, and I woke up both kids, and, and we spent a half hour there together on the front porch, looking at the planets and the stars. Now, North Olmsted is not an ideal location for stargazing. There's way too much light pollution. But have you ever been somewhere away from the street lights and the mall parking lots where you could really see the stars? I remember Boy Scout trips up near Algonquin Park in Ontario, lying on a boat in the lake in the middle of the night and seeing the cloud of the Milky Way arcing across the sky. That is the sort of sky that Abram saw when he stepped outside his tent 4,000 years ago. And I think his story is still important for us today because we need to see the stars in the night as well. Why? Well, I, I think this passage, when we see it among the threads of Scripture, shows us some powerful things about stars. They remind us who God is. 
They remind us who we are and who we will be. And they remind us of what we need to do. So you ready for a little stargazing? Well, first, the, the stars that Abram saw were a part of seeing who God is. This is far from the only time, of course, that the writers of the Bible refer to the stars. The earliest is back at the very beginning in the creation account in Genesis 1. And we read there about how the stars came to be. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. There are some significant things to see here. We need to remember that God didn't give Genesis 1 to us as a scientific treatise, but as theology. Not that there can't be harmony between the two, but the purpose here wasn't so much to describe astrophysics or the orbital mechanics of our solar system, but to teach us about God. One of the main points of Genesis 1 is not how God made all of this stuff, but that he made all of this stuff. There's even some sarcastic humor in here if you're looking for it. Most of the cultures around Israel, the Egyptians they had left and the Canaanites that they were going to, had great pantheons of gods and goddesses. Prominent among most of them were the sun and the moon and the stars. Egypt had Helios, the sun god. The Greeks had Apollo and Artemis, gods of the sun and the moon. And the stars formed constellations depicting great gods and heroes who were worshipped. But what does Genesis say? The sun and the moon aren't even named. They're just the greater light and the lesser light. And those billions upon billions of gigantic spheres of exploding gas, those immensely powerful nuclear fusion reactors in space, oh yeah, God also made the stars. The message is clear. Those things the people around you are worshiping, the things they sacrifice to and fear and try to draw meaning from, we worship the God who made them all with a word. They are not gods. They're lights. Our God is all-powerful. He is supreme, and he shares his glory with no one. So as Abram looked up at that night sky, he was reminded of God's all-encompassing power. And that leads us to another observation about who God is. Not only is he all-powerful, he's also in control, even when things seem upside down to us. At the end of the book of Job, God reveals himself to Job and to his friends. He names several constellations, and he says, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Not only did God make all of these heavenly bodies, he also has dominion over them. He orders them. He holds the universe together with his laws. 
And hear me, he is still in control today. Amen? But there's another important point that Abram saw in that night sky. Yes, God's all-powerful and he remains in control, but that by itself is awfully close to deism. What does it matter if he is in fact a distant and disinterested God and we're just left to our own devices? But God makes it clear to Abram that that's not him at all. Don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Let's take a walk outside together, shall we? God cares for Abram. He's interested in him. He's guarding him, and he has a plan for him. So that night and every night, the stars should remind us who God is. God is all-powerful. He's in control, and he cares about us. But they should also remind us who we are. Those stars showed Abram his own place in God's plan. See those stars, Abram? I dare you to count them. That's how many your children's children will be. And in fact, hundreds of years later, after many ups and downs, after slavery and freedom, faithfulness and apostasy, victory and defeat, Nehemiah could pray to God, you made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. God fulfills his promises. And we're supposed to identify with that as well. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul refers back to this passage about Abram. Now, he uses the name Abraham that God gave him later. But Paul writes, So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. The stars should remind us that we can be the spiritual children of Abraham, adopted into his family, sharing in the good news of grace and faith. We are those stars that Abraham saw in the night sky. And if we have received the spirit of adoption, we will also receive an inheritance. Daniel writes about this when he records his vision of the end times. He says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. In the same way, Paul writes about our future to the Corinthian church. He says, there are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised 
a spiritual body. That is something to look forward to. I have a, a long history of heart disease in my family, so if I keel over someday, don't think that Ginger had anything to do with it. <laughs> she might have a reason to, but it's, it's just my genes. So I'm trying to put it off as long as I can, so I'm, I'm doing what I can to keep in reasonable shape. Uh, I get up a bit earlier, three or four days a week, and run or bike a few miles around our neighborhood. I've never really been athletic, and so I'm kind of proud that at 41 years old, I can manage to run a mile in less than eight minutes. I couldn't even do that when I was 18. But, but, last Tuesday, I woke up and I could hardly bend my knee. Somehow, I pulled my hamstring. And you know what's worst? I don't even know what I did. I went to bed fine, and I woke up unable to walk. Well, I limped around for a day or two, and it seems to be back to normal, pretty much. But I know what this means. Galloping decrepitude overtakes all of us. So that imperishable body, that one raised in glory and power, that's sounding better every day. But that glorious hope isn't something we can get to through our own power. The Bible is clear that it isn't something we can earn through doing enough good works. The God who made the world and holds it together with a word doesn't grade on a curve, and we have all failed the test. I think it's times like these days that show us just how true that is. All we have to do is look at the news and we see selfishness, anger, oppression, pride and shame and greed ruling the day. And if we're honest, we see those things in our own hearts as well. Sin snares us. A judgmental attitude creeps in. Doubt and fear threaten to take over. And if we're wise, we realize that we can't do this on our own. But Abram's story shows us something important. He was far from perfect, too. As we look at his story, we see that he had issues with pride. His family was kind of a mess. He could be overly passive at times, and he could also take things into his own hands. That, in fact, has led to thousands of years of conflict. Never let it be said that you can't make a difference in the world. We see here that he wrestled with fear and doubt. He's wide awake in the middle of the night. And I have to imagine that the night seemed very, very long. Do you feel like that at all today? Like this is a night that just keeps going on with no sunrise in sight? I confess I do at times. I'm weary. I'm frustrated and discouraged, and I'm not going through half of what some of you are. So what do we do? Faced with who God is and who we are, how do we get to what we will be? If we don't get there through trying to be good, what can we possibly do? Well, hear the good news, my friends. It's not about what we can do. 
It's about what God does. He showed up in the middle of that night and said, don't be afraid, Abram. Because you know what? It's only during the night that we can see the stars. They're not always clear. And the artificial lights of this world can threaten to drown them out. But even in North Olmsted, you can see the stars. You just have to look up. Hear these words of Paul to the church at Philippi. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. This is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture and I find myself coming back to it again and again because it's not about what we can do. Paul reminds his friends that they need to reflect with awe on what God has done. They can't save themselves. They aren't working for their salvation. That's a path of insecurity and futility and failure. No, they're working out the salvation that God has given them through Christ Jesus. Realizing that grace, that Jesus willingly gave himself in our place, that he lived the life we should have lived and died the death that we all deserve, that should fill us with proper awe, with fear and trembling. And it should empower us to work out what that means into every corner of our lives. Paul reminds the church that they need to trust God for who they are and who they will become. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so we must believe that God can give us the desire to follow him better and the power to act to fulfill his good purpose in our lives. It's not by our own strength or virtue. It's only through his grace. Paul reminds the Philippians and he reminds us that we need to follow Jesus. Not grudgingly, but out of love. Not following rules, but following someone who loves us. Someone whom we love. As we do so, we will seek to be blameless and pure. We will hold firmly to the word of life. And we can make a difference in this warped and crooked generation. There's something else. The stars are reminders, but I want us to notice something in what Paul wrote. We are to shine like stars. When night falls, we are to remind one another and proclaim in the world who God is. We are to remind one another during the night who we are in him. We are to encourage one another in this work that he has given us. And when the night is darkest, that's when we most need to shine like the stars for one another and for our world. Do you feel like you're walking through the night right now? You know, it's not a bad place to be because it's during the night that we can see the stars.
And if we look up, we can be reminded of who God is. He will remind us who we are and who we are becoming. And if we believe, he will empower us to follow him and we will shine like the stars forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord God, your servant David looked up at the night sky and poured out this prayer. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. God, we look at how powerful you are, how you set the moon and stars in place and hold the universe together with a word. And we ask, what is man? How small we seem. But you know us. You care for us. We couldn't save ourselves, so you came for us. You died for us. You rose again to give us that glorious hope that we can spend eternity with you. That you will wipe away every tear and do away with sickness and pain and death. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus. Meet us in our night. Strengthen us for the work before us that we can shine like stars in this generation for your glory, for your honor, and for your praise. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.